So that moment that, you know, even when things aren't perfect, that you can still enjoy it and that you can watch these actors enjoy themselves messing up and relishing in the the mistakes, you know, the happy accidents that they make. I, I just really wanted to be a part of that. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 70, and today my guest is Annie Conarachi, who's a change management consultant and has studied and performed improv at the Second City, Annoyance Theater, and I.O. Chicago. She performs improv and sketch comedy all around the city of Chicago. She's a graduate of the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University and a graduate of Rice University. As a change management consultant, she frequently uses her improv skills to facilitate growth and positive change in organizations. Annie does an outstanding job of describing how improv does apply in business and discusses how you can use improv to diffuse difficult situations. My advice to my audience is that if anything that Annie talks about resonates with you, go back and listen to the episode again. And then go to her podcast episode on my website and download the transcript. This is great stuff. Before we get to the interview, I would like to talk about the first five episodes of my podcast that qualify for CPE self-study credit under the NASBA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, the former CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scorantino, who's the author of Gratitude Marketing, Tom Hood, who's the CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs and the Business Learning Institute, Ed Mendelwitz, who's a partner with the firm Witham Smith & Brown, and Carl Ulrichs, who's an HR professional at Gregory & Appel Insurance Company. These episodes are located on the MACPA BLI self-study website, and they are mobile-friendly. Create an account and purchase an episode. You can listen to them on your daily commute or while you're working out or even at your desk. And when you're finished, take the review and final exam on your mobile device or your computer. It's that easy. While all selected Improv is No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the MACPA BLI Self-Study website are eligible for CPE Self-Study credit. You can get the detailed instructions by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic, Listen, Learn, and Earn Improv is No Joke podcast on the homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credit. Okay, now let's get to the interview with Annie Kondarachi. Annie, welcome to Improv is No Joke. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy day to have a conversation with me about really the power of, of improvisation. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat about it. 
And I can already tell just within the few moments, this episode is going to be 10 times better than the one I've done with your dad. I'm sure it is. <laughs> and I'm hope he's, I hope he's laughing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he wasn't trained the way I was trained. So, you know, he's self-taught. He's self-taught. <laughs> exactly. So I, I'm, I'm real curious to start out, if you could give the audience the, the backstory on how you found yourself attracted, uh, enamored by improv and, and how you took that and created something really cool for yourself. Sure, sure. Um, so I guess my whole life, I have been a fan of comedy, Saturday Night Live, but I never really thought it was something that you could pursue professionally or in your free time. It was not something, especially I grew up in Baltimore, there weren't a lot of improv theaters or improv teams. You could do it kind of in college as a hobby, but that seemed too terrifying to me and I would never do that. <laughs> So really, it was after my first promotion as a consultant um, that I was trying to think about, you know, now that I got this promotion, what do I really want to do and how do I really add value? What are my skills? Uh, so I asked my teammates, I asked people I worked for, where do I really differentiate myself? And the, what came back was really it's how you can, can bring people together as a team your sense of humor really helps. Uh, you are kind of this beacon of, you know, fun in a kind of boring workplace or a stressful workplace. And just around that time, a few of my colleagues and I went to Chicago, uh, saw a show at Second City, and a light bulb went off. And I said, I have to do this. I don't know what that means, um, but at Second City, they close every show with smart marketing saying, if you want to do this and it looks like fun, come to the training center. And I was hooked. So I knew I had to go there. So the way I planned that out was that if I got into business school, work would transfer me up there and I could take classes at Second City, which was a very expensive and roundabout way of getting there. <laughs> uh, but it, it seemed to work out, which was I'm very happy about so you were working by day and improvising at night. That, uh, yes, improvising and going to business school at night. Oh, <laughs> oh both at night. Yeah, oh, wow. I was doing both at night, yes. Yeah, so sometimes I was getting to work at 6.30 so I could make class by 6 and then make rehearsal by 9. It was intense. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you never slept. <laughs> no, 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 no. I did not. I did not sleep. But uh, I'm really grateful for that time. It was a... Uh, Talk about energy management. That was a time when I needed it. Oh, yeah, exactly. So what was that? What was the big aha moment that you have? What, what, do you remember what it was in, in either watching the show or, or your first bit at the workshop that really grabbed you and said, this is me. This, this, I, I get it. So, so there were a few. I think of that, that first show, part of it was realizing that you can have mistakes and they don't, everything's not perfect all the time and it's not scripted, but that even watching the actors make mistakes and embrace those mistakes and have fun doing it, that that fun was contagious. So there's, you know, I kind of came into it with my hands full, arms folded saying, you know, like, make me laugh, Let's see what you can do. Um, and it wasn't necessarily the scripted content that they'd worked, workshopped and worked, worked, worked that made me laugh the most. It was that that energy was contagious and that 
um, camaraderie was contagious and you all kind of felt like you're in a living room at a party with your friends kind of just fooling around and playing games and making things up. Um, it really is electric. So that moment that, you know, even when things aren't perfect, that you can still enjoy it and that you can watch these actors enjoy themselves messing up and relishing in the, the mistakes, you know, the happy accidents that they make. I, I just really wanted to be a part of that. And then my first class, so I took my first class level A with Brian Posen. Oh, yes. Amazing. Amazing, amazing. Absolutely amazing. And that first class was, um, I never felt so instantly part of an ensemble, part of a group, and like whatever I did was right. And that I couldn't say anything wrong, that the group was there to support me, and that it just felt like, you know, the best play date you had as a kid, right? Where you meet, you know, you go, you go to, it's funny, the play dates, you know, your parents set you up on these blind dates, but kids don't think it's awkward, right? They, they click, you know, and they just, they're the best improvisers, right? Because they just make stuff up and have a ball. Um, and it was just unlearning a lot of these behaviors we we have that, oh, that's awkward or, oh, I shouldn't say that. It was just so such a blast. And and I got the bug. I mean, all, from that first class, I just had to keep doing it. I Because I, um, I had Brian as a, I was up for a three-day intensive and Brian Posen was, was my very first instructor. And you're right. I mean, it, the, it was it was such a potpourri of people that were in this group. There was actually like a, an ER doc and heart surgeon. I was the, I was the token accountant. Was, <laughs> right. and, it sounds like a bar joke, right? It, yeah, it does. <laughs> and, and, but it, uh, almost immediately, the group kind of came together, and and he had a great way of having his. Yeah, you know, his mannerisms and the way he did it, but it was a way that just brought everybody together. And I would walk back to my hotel taking notes in my notepad and, and just filling this thing up. And, and that was the best three days. And I came back from that and I could not stop talking. It's so look, you got me do. I'm talking about it again. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. His energy is contagious. I mean, he's he's just an incredible teacher. And then I had... Jay Suko a couple terms later, and he it was the same similar experience of just feeling like that level was more challenging. So I felt more challenged, but at the same time, so supported, uh, which I think that was one of the lessons I learned that I really ended up taking back to work uh, quite a bit is that you can still challenge people in a way that makes them feel supported and taken care of. And they, you can take bigger risks if you feel like you're in a safe environment. Exactly. And I think that's a big challenge in corporate America is one, the ability to take risks because th those who I've talked to, uh, the, the, the mantra that I hear is, yeah, the C-suite wants us to, you know, think outside the box, but if we don't have the right, if we think outside the box and it fails, we're going to lose our job. Mm -hmm. So there is not there is not that level of support there. There's you know it's 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 the fear factor versus that environment that you know as I say bad ideas are just bridges to good ideas. Uh huh. For sure. For sure. And you know it's it's that's what I loved about you know creating an ensemble where you trust each other. Right. Is that. I'm going to say whatever I have at the top of my brain. I may judge it, but I have a group of people who won't, who will say, 
yeah, that's ridiculous. Let's go with that and let's see what we can build together. Um, you know, so that's why you have a hot dog stand on Mars. <laughs> why not? Uh, and and I think in in business, you know, right, it's, I think, drawing that bridge between, no, you're not building hot dog stands on Mars in business unless you're maybe Elon Musk. But, (laughs) you know, this idea that if I'm soliciting ideas, right, there are no bad ones. It's just, if we can't do that, let's go with what's pragmatic. What can we do that's close to that, right? So you want a hot dog stand in, you know, the conference room, probably not, but what is it about a hot dog stand that you want? And by saying, yeah, okay, how could we make that work or what else is like that that we can do? It frees people up to, you know, take risks and you get better work. People aren't really motivated by by fear. Um, and you'll get kind of safe decisions and safe work out of them if they're motivated by fear. Right. And and in order to come up with these ideas, you have to have a culture that supports, you have to have a culture that supports failure. Yes. Yes. And that freedom to fail is so important. I think even just framing failures as learning opportunities, right, is that, you know, I think one of the great things about being an improviser is you will have so many bad shows, way more bad shows than good shows. Mm-hmm. But I think the culture is such that improvisers go see other improvisers perform all the time. And at the end of a show, someone will say, you guys sucked. When are you playing again? Can't wait to see you guys again. <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the joy in a bad show because that's one more bad show that's under your belt for the good show, right? And that you can celebrate the good show, but you you have a bad show and you're it's just great. You know, you can say, "Man, that was really bad." I uh, you know, I I can learn from it. It's it's the bad shows that you really learn the, the most from. Exactly. And I got to share a story with you. I was doing a um a workshop, a creativity workshop for a, a company in, in the Baltimore area, and they had brought their emerging leaders in from the U.S. and Latin America. And I, I, I set the culture to say, you know, bad ideas bridges to good ideas. Don't, don't, don't censure yourself. Whatever said stays in this room. There's no senior management in here. Nobody's going to, you know. And, and, and one of the areas that they wanted us to tackle was come up with some ideas on how to increase profitability. Mm-hmm. So threw that out there, throwing ideas, you know, you know, raise revenues, cut costs. Okay, okay, we got that. Now dig deeper. Let's let's mm-hmm. figure this out. And this one gentleman from Latin America goes, I tell you what, we're going to do, my friends. This is how we're going to increase profitability in our company. We are going to kill all of our competition salespeople. <laughs> All right. All right. That's an approach. That's an approach. And and everybody just broke out in laughter. And for a moment there, I panicked. And I went, my head like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? I said, wait a minute. If you believe this, think about it for just a brief second. Then then I I, I looked at the the, the group. I said, okay, tell you what. Let's play with this idea, but we're going to take murder off the table. (laughs) Because I don't look good in orange where orange is the new black. Uh, right, right, right. But what instead of killing them, what if we identify our competition's top salespeople, instead of killing them, let's poach them. Mm. And I, I, I still don't know if we would have got to that in that session without that one gentleman giving us a horrible, bad idea. Right, right. But felt confident that the culture was going to support him. 
I don't know if they implemented it, but it, it just led down this wonderful path. Yes, yes, completely. And I and I think that culture, I, I know I've heard it said many times, right, that culture comes from the top down. Uh, so if you're not in the C-suite, what what is there to do? And I think we all own responsibility for continuing and perpetuating that culture, right? So even if, you know, you are in, you know, the worst culture in the world, right? You can still do what you can within your own space, right? And you can make the conscious decision to not perpetuate a culture that is counterproductive. And really it's, if you're fun to work with, people are going to want to work with you, especially if your methods create some sort of results, right? So Nobody has to see the ugly process that, you know, and the bad ideas that lead you to the good one. You know, all all your customers care about is the good one, right? So it really is helpful to kind of get out the cobwebs and make people feel like uh, I can learn, I can grow, and I'm with people that are going to support that that process. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And yeah, I don't know. I was thinking, yeah, is there two words that might be used in the, <laughs> in the workplace that might spur this kind of positive energy? I don't know. I'm pondering. Do you happen to know a couple of words I that might work? I would say yes and. <laughs> yes and, right? The, yes. the cardinal rule. I, I have wanted to get a tattoo that says yes and forever. But, um, you know, after many conversations with my dad, <laughs> he's like, you know, you could just get a T-shirt. But, you know, I believe so wholeheartedly in that, that it is just such a mantra, right, that, you know, I had one. So Jay Suko says that the yes is implied when you say and, which I, I like too, right, get it down to one word. Is that, but it, it really does, when you first start improvising, you are forced to say yes and, and you notice you become so sensitive to how often you're saying no, right, and that, or but. Or, well, you know, it's that, no, we are building this process together. See, I just did it. No. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that that it's this instant agreement and that you feel like, yes, someone is on board and we are now creating together uh, it, to the point that my dad has now trained himself to disagree with me using yes and. <laughs> <laughs> So every time he disagrees with me, it's yes. And yeah, I mean, my my improvising guru, friend, coach, mentor, Jay Sugo, who I will continue to sing his praises, his son and he were at the playground. Uh, a friend of, me, of mine told me the story secondhand that his son, who was three at the time, was playing. And he asks him, Jack, do you want your sandwich now? And he says, no. And he says, Jack, what do we say on our house? And Jack says, yes, and later. <laughs> <laughs> so it really can. Uh, but I think, it, you know, I laugh about it. But the idea of if you think about how many times a toddler will hear the word no, um, having a dad who is, you know, the primary caretaker during the day who's pumping and full of yes and yes and yes and um you know you can see the kid is calm he is happy he is creative um so you know just seeing it in in the family context is is really cool to watch well the next time you, you see jay 
just uh, uh, how old's his uh, son now? I think he's about five now. About five. So w- when he becomes a teenager, he's he's <laughs> he's really going to be challenged to maintain yes and uh, and. I, my son now is 17, but when he was 14, he came up to me one day and he says, Daddy, why are you yelling at me all the time? I am not yelling at you. And I went, right, right, right. I started thinking, I said, and started thinking about my conversations. And I was going, yes, but no, because yes, but this is my help. No, because if you don't do your homework and I went, and my book had just come out and I went, oh my God, I, I, I didn't see it. I was I was I was completely blind to it, so I cognizantly made an effort to not say no and and and, and but and, and just yes and, and and tell me why you think that tell me why. And three months later, he came back to me and says, "Daddy, you're not yelling at me anymore." Yeah. Wow. Don't you still love me? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and right. We, and we talked about it, and, and he figured out it was the yes and. And you're right. We've become a lot calmer with each other and have, have developed a, a really richer uh, father-son experience because, you know, the, the one thing I love about Yes And, it, it, it's the empathy. You, you, you put yourself in the other person's shoes. And quite frankly, I forgot what it was like to be a 14-year-old boy. Right. Getting out of middle school, going to go to high school, got those hormones going on, they're floppy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, he was going, once I could relate with him, have empathy with him, discuss with him, man, the, the, the stress and the calmness came right down. For sure. I, I, one of my favorite improv exercises that I've done, and it's a little more of an advanced exercise, but you would go into a scene and your scene partner would say the worst thing that you could possibly imagine, right? So they say, they start with conflict. All these, they break every improv rule, right? So they go to anger, they try to start a fight. Sometimes they'll ask a really mean question and your whole job is to diffuse that situation because um, you'll find it's a great exercise and you'll find as an improviser, right? Especially with newer improvisers, um, a lot of times you'll, You'll want to go to conflict and anger because when you are stressed, which, mm-hmm. you know, not knowing what you're going to say and having an audience especially is very stressful. Um, so I'm going to default to anger and defensiveness because right. I don't want to look dumb in front of an audience full of people. So a lot of times you'll see these scenes just kind of devolve into even if they start really happy and they're remembering their yes and they'll ultimately devolve into these these fights, right? Because it's how do I, I know this is what's comfortable in a situation where I'm stressed out and high pressure. Um, and, you know, of course, at work, you have high pressure, stressful situations all the time. So one of the things that I love about that exercise is how can you diffuse when someone's coming at you with, you know, why didn't you do this? Or what, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, there were some, it was improv, so that you name it, you heard it. Uh, but, you know, where is this person coming from, right? And how can I take care of my scene partner, right? What is it that they need or that their character needs that they're not getting? And I think one of the greatest ways to initiate a scene is to make eye contact and smile, right? Is right. that you convey that I'm comfortable, I've got your back, you've got my back. And even in in just a look, you can do that. But I think it's 
it's that at work, right, when you're presented with a stressful situation or, you know, someone's yelling at you or mad at you, right, it's usually comes from a place of stress, right? That it's, it's, I, and sometimes there's culturally, right, stress rolls downhill, yeah. Right? It's yeah. another S word that <laughs> yeah. people usually use. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stress. <laughs> but that 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 this is what I've learned that when I'm stressed, I push stress onto onto whoever's you know below me. Right. So they can feel the pain that I feel. Whereas what I found to be more productive is, hey, I notice you're stressed out, you know, my superior, right? What can I do to diffuse that? And what can I do to help? that situation, right? How can I make you look good, right? And that's oh. an improv rule too, right? You yeah. want to make your scene partner look great. You want to make your team teammates feel like geniuses, right? So right. I think this idea that you coming at me with anger or from stress, that's about you. That's not about me, right? So how can we work together to kind of alleviate that stress? Okay, two, two questions here. One, what's the name of the improv game um, that you just described. Oh man, I don't know the name of the game. I will have to look it up, but I will send it to you. Uh, but I mean, it's yeah, just <laughs> deflect, deflect, and diffuse. Yeah, deflect and, and the second thing is so. Yeah, we can do that on an improvised stage. We can do that in a workshop. But when somebody comes at you and they're mad, I, I think one, their body language is going to make you become defensive. Of course. And, and it takes a lot of energy mm-hmm. to diffuse that to say what, you know, what seems to be the problem and, and how can I help us in this situ- situation? But, but I'm, so if, if I'm the cause of his anger or her anger, how do you dig out of that? Yeah, and actually, it it brings to mind, I was interviewing a young woman for an analyst position out of college, and she was a a soccer referee, and she refereed 10 to 12-year-old girls, and she would have parents, you know, red in the face, yelling at her, right? And I asked her a similar question, right? So how do you deal with that, right, and keep your cool during the games? And she said, you know... Uh, to me, I think it's actually really empowering, right? I think it's, you know, it's just a game. It's 10 to 12 year old girls playing soccer. And I know that's not about me. It's kind of a compliment that I can make you that upset. (laughs) You know, I'm just a college student trying to wrap a game, doing my best, the best I can. But, you know, it's, it's, and she says, I usually address them with calm, you know, it's calm and relaxed. And that diffuses it because the thing is what, what happens when you come back with that anger and defensiveness, it just escalates, right? So so it's very hard to continue to fight when it's a losing battle, right? You're you're not fine. You wanna you wanna fight with me? I mean, one of the best tips that I got from Jay was if someone's trying to start an argument with you in a scene, right? You can say, I'm not trying to fight with you, right? Character to character, improviser to improviser employee to supervisor, right? I'm not trying to fight with you. I'm I'm just coming from a place of honesty. And I think that's that's the the improviser way too, right? Is if you don't know what to say, start from truth, right? So a lot of times, I mean I've been in plenty of situations where things have gotten heated, right? But I think it's knowing that 
your body physically will get defensive, right? Right. With that body body language, right? Yeah, so yeah. acknowledging that this is something that my body's reacting to, but you know, cognitively I know that this is only going to escalate if I if I continue with it, right? So let sometimes it's okay, let them get out whatever they have to get out and then where can we where can we get that common ground right acknowledging how they feel acknowledging i understand you're stressed i understand that you know i don't know the tps report was late or whatever <laughs> <laughs> um help me help me understand where we can we can do better in the future right, right. And, and that and that takes me to a harvard business review article that came out a few years ago that basically said if you can take emotion out of a out of a discussion out of an argument you'll get to a solution faster mm-hmm. and one of the suggestions was is let them get the emotion out right let them get that anger out let them get the sadness out let, let them get out of their system and then they'll become a little bit more rational and you'll stick to the facts and then how can i help you or i'm sorry i did this help me get better and and, and it turns into much more of a productive and it is to that degree of what you were saying diffuse Yes. And I, and I think it, as, as an improviser, one of the things I've learned is acknowledge the way somebody feels. Um, you'd be surprised how powerful that is, right? To say, I understand you may be stressed or I get that you're stressed out because that is even just having someone acknowledge that can be a huge relief, right? So, um, and seeing the words, right? As opposed to, you know, from my body language, you can tell that message is received, you're stressed <laughs> out, you're angry. It's so much more productive, right? I think at the end of the day, it's not, yes, I, I'm kind of touchy-feely and I think that everybody's feelings matter, but it really at the end of the day, you get to that productivity way more quickly when you can acknowledge and and say, it's it's address the emotion, I would say, even instead of get past it, right? It's that it's it's that no, this is a valid thing. You're it's valid that you're stressed, it's valid that you're angry. Now let's unpack that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. And and how can I how can I how can we figure out figure it out and just make it better? And, and just so it doesn't happen again. Um you know, I had I had a boss once um and I, I had a huge screw up and I was expecting to get chewed out and I went into her office and, and and told her the mistake and she did not flinch she looked as calm cool and collected and then she asked me what my solution was which I had none because I panicked and went in <laughs> then she then, then she you know jumped me then she you know really chewed me upside down the other side but these words I have never forgotten she says Pete I expect that you will make mistakes because you're human mm-hmm and I went, holy cow! Nobody's ever told me that before. <laughs> and but then she gets, then she says, but I also expect that you come into my office with a solution. I don't care if it's right or wrong; it's going to start the conversation. Exactly. And th- I mean, although she didn't know it at the time, she was improvising. Of course, great boss. Yeah. Oh right? yeah. And I and I think the the context is important, right? And I I took this with me as with my employees, right? Is that even 
if they've screwed up the biggest thing that, you know, they could have possibly screwed up, right? In the grand scheme of things, it's like, you know, the company's stock isn't going to crash because this thing is late, right? You know, it's it's like, let's, let's put this in context. It's important. And I think saying, you know, yes, even if it makes your boss look bad, right? That's, I think, for me, the worst is when I feel like I've messed up and made my boss look bad, it's part of their role to make sure that, you know, you learn from it, right? And how can how can I learn better from it? But then if I am managing people, right, how do I serve as that heat shield, right? That how do I put that into perspective for, for my own employees, right? How do I provide that environment, you know, like like your boss, right? To say that you have that freedom to fail and mess up because I want you to be able to learn and you're going to learn from making mistakes. You're not going to be learn to learn and retain and grow by doing the same thing over and over again, you know, in that 70%, 80% good, right? You know, um, I want to tre- stretch you and challenge you and make you better. I have not, for all the bosses that I've had in my, my life, nobody has ever addressed it like she did. Yeah. And and some wouldn't even address the issue. Some would, would just you know ignore it, and maybe it'll go away, or maybe he'll just go away. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, but she, I mean, I, I I her name is Roxanne Alfayez, and I give her those words of statement with me forever. And I I tell audience she, she was the best leader, uh, one of the best leaders, one of the best bosses I've I've ever had in my life, and because nobody said I expect that you will make mistakes. Which which really scared me. <laughs> right. Well, and you're like, all the time? Yeah. The time? Oh, cool. I'm really going to love my job now. I can relax and be myself. <laughs> right, right. And, and I think, too, you touched on, right? I think there's the difference between a manager and a leader. Uh, you know, so, so your manager, right? Uh, I think of a manager as um, almost micromanaging, right? They manage to tasks, right? It's very... Um, internally focused as an internal to the organization, right? Um, And that's a certain set of skills, right? And I'm not knocking those skills. Um, I paid a lot of money to get those skills. But (laughs) I think there is something about leadership in that, you know, a leader is someone that inspires and motivates, right? And I think you can have organizations where you have managers, really great managers in leadership positions who don't know that piece or don't, aren't, skilled at that piece, right? We see that in corporate America a lot. You go up the chain in management and you get to a leadership position, but you don't know how to inspire and motivate because that's not what you're good at. That's not what you've been practicing for the last, you know, umpteen years. So it's it's that that how do we teach leadership, right? Because that's something that um, it's rarely part of your KPIs, right? Of whether or not you're doing a good job. You know, how are you motivating your team? How are you really inspiring people to do good work? Do people trust you? That's those are much harder to measure and much harder to to get to, right? And say this is it's kind of that X factor of right. We we call it executive presence or something right, like right. that. It's it's funny that you that you go down this path because you know corporate America they, they spend a lot of money to bring people come in to teach them leadership, mm-hmm. and they think that well I've had an eight hour I've had a conference course on leadership I can be a leader but I, I think maybe I saw heard this on a 
uh, Simon Sinek video interview, but he said, you know, leadership is something that you have to practice every single day. A seminar doesn't make you a leader. Reading books on Lincoln on, on, on doesn't make you <laughs> right. a Right. instantly a leader it you have to take uh and as a gentleman named phil kim did a ted talk you know these little you have to have these little wins in order to win to win the battle and i think we you know you know this has always been one of my my frustrations as, as somebody who who teaches leadership and does it is it's the ability to follow up and make sure that they're keeping but you know i i that's not my responsibility it's to inspire them to continually to try to do this because you know they get back you get back to work you get right back into that rut oh of course and you f- and you forget and it's like okay did we all just waste our time and money for <laughs> to check a box yeah and and you have things you have behaviors a series of behaviors that have made you successful thus far right so it's very hard to unlearn those things right and that's one of the things you know bringing it back to improv that i was learning was I have these behaviors. And for me, one of the behaviors I wanted to unlearn was I used to go to a joke right away when I was stressed or there was tension, right? It was tell a joke and diffuse that situation that way. And, you know, that's not great either, right? You can make a lot of people very mad when you do that. Uh, Um, Yes, you can. (laughs) Voice of of experience. (laughs) Exactly. So um, I I think that that was part of the reason I wanted to train, right, was that I want some control of when I use this and when I don't. And I think it's that that was a behavior that I had learned that had worked, you know, on the playground and had worked, you know, in middle school and high school and college that it didn't work so well when, you know, at work. Uh, and, you know, you have to unlearn those behaviors. So, and, and I think one of the things that being a little bit type A, and I would say a control enthusiast, not quite a freak, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are certain behaviors that you have, right, that, you know, mm-hmm. I, that you built up that made you to a certain point of success, right? That builds you there. So there's absolutely a fear in unraveling those, right? Because it's it's worked so far. And I think in organizations, right? To achieve culture change, right? Well, this is the way we've operated for 50 years. Uh, and it's, especially if you're profitable, right? If it ain't broke, you know, and I think that's one of the great things about uh, what Glassdoor is doing, right? Is that Glassdoor is giving that power to back to employees to say, you know, all the stuff that used to just kind of go away with, you know, once I leave the company, it doesn't matter. That that things are like that are really starting to matter. That um, culture, uh, leadership, really. You know, now you can start to measure it because people are are filling out their satisfaction surveys and they're and they're putting it online for everybody to read. I, I think it's it's quite a good thing, but I think organizations are really having to adjust because it's people are demanding it. Exactly. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this just a little bit in a different direction, but it's tied into there. So it, it, it's to learn to do. What's your thought on? having a course as part of the curriculum within middle school, within high school, as a rela- college, as it relates to improv? Oh, I mean, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, I, I, I volunteer with an organization um, that actually does that. Uh, it's called Room to Improv. 
Um, it's run by a fabulous woman who uh, went through A through E at Second City, had a, had also took courses from Jay Zuko. And it's precisely that, is that she thought she used to work at um, Chicago Public Schools, was a retired school teacher. And within a couple classes, she realized this belongs in a classroom because she was in her 50s when she was taking the class. And she's realizing, you know, all of this, all of these behaviors that she's built up. And she's saying, wow, you know, if this, if we started with kids, right, and kids could start acknowledging, you know, acknowledging these behaviors early, building good teams, um, teamwork, leadership skills, uh, thinking quickly on your feet, supporting each other, that it can actually make a great difference, not just personally for them, but also, you know, for the school. Um, so she's in in quite a few schools. She's in charter schools right now. But, you know, the students notice a difference, of course, but I think the teachers too notice a difference in behavior. And now we're working on, I'm working with her on, on, on actually tying metrics to that. So uh, attendance, does that change? Uh, nobody wants to miss improv day because <laughs> so, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that there's a way to actually start measuring it because that's the thing that I have struggled with in business is I can preach about how great it is all day, but I think they want to say, okay, give me the metrics, right? Show show me where the value is. Because a lot of people think it's just, you know, cracking jokes all day. And, and so showing that value. And I think um, the great thing about schools is that you can, you can look at attendance, you can look at grade point average, you can look at disciplinary records. And I think it, it, it absolutely makes a difference because I, I just believe it, right? And I know it and I've seen it in myself anecdotally, but um, I've also seen it in these students. So I, I've thought about if I was in town more often than not, I, I thought about something that maybe taking it to my son's high school and just start something like that. Just because I, I truly believe it. And, and we've had this conversation um, via email about, I would love my son to, to spend a year studying at Second City, studying at Improv in Chicago, because I think overall, it would do have such a big benefit to him when he would get into college, when he would get into the workforce, and it would be the big differentiator uh, between him and another candidate. Um, I And I don't know, do you know Allison Estep? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. She studied, she studied in Second City, and she was... Uh, graduate from the conservatory and she was, I, I interviewed her not too long ago. Um, I met her, at, she was at the time working at the Indiana Society of CPAs as the marketing person. And um, she wholeheartedly, ble- same thing. We, we need yeah. to get this in the schools. It'd be great for kids. It, it, it really is life-changing. And, and that's what I love about it because, you know, when I, when I discovered this, I was doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. And um, there's no support there. No, <laughs> there, no, no, it's, no. no yeah. it, it's 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 very t- t- can be kind of kind of cutthroat. But when I was introduced to improv, I'm like, oh, this is this is, and, and then I made that realization uh, that aha moment that it's much more than just being funny. It, it, it can be a way of life. Of course. As an evangelist, I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> well, I'm 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 carrying yeah I'm I'm behind you with with your robe, uh, holding your robe, and carrying your cane, <laughs> uh, and, and, and tooting the horn for you because uh, as you. well as I I uh, but you know think about the, my my audience, which primarily um, when I speak uh, to these groups are CPAs. Mm-hmm. 
And to say that they might be skeptical could be an understatement. For sure. And, you know, I would, I, I could see that they're going, why, what, it's just all about comedy, that who's that Drew Carey dude? Why? It's, <laughs> it's just about silliness. But once I was able to get them in the room, once I was able to, within the first five to 10 minutes, show them that it was much more than comedy, mm-hmm. I could see their aha moment. For sure. Uh, and then they, then they began to understand. And, and that was the big challenge when I, when I wrote the book because I knew that was a hurdle. I've been trying to, to scale for years. And it, it was at some point in time, I finally had that aha moment on how to get past that, that, that knowing that they're going to think it's silly and be, and be able to convince them that it's, it, it's really a, a wonderful leadership life, life uh, uh, tool. Right. And, and really, the comedy is is just kind of a happy output. Right. I think most of improv is not funny, <laughs> um, you know, or it's funny because you're watching people, you know, you're watching your teammates struggle and, and enjoy themselves. Right. But but I think uh, we almost do ourselves a disservice for saying that it's about the funny because it's it's really about truth. And honesty, right? And I, I think most of the laughs you'll get in improv are when you speak to that truth and specificity, right? I'm I'm seeing someone. Uh, specificity is just such a gift, right? As a performer, right? It's that I use. I, I say I'm making bobbly pizza instead of just pizza, and people laugh, right? And you're like, that bobbly in itself isn't funny, right? But it's that you are doing something that I can identify with. And now we immediately have made this connection, right? And so it's not, it's it's that truth in comedy, right? That I laugh because I recognize and I laugh because I can relate. Um, and I think some of the funniest improvisers are not quote funny people, right? I think it, you mentioned you took your first workshop with you know a bunch of professionals. Yeah. And, and I had the same experience it's at Second City, right? That most people taking that class are not there to be on Saturday Night Live. They're there to gain confidence uh, in public speaking. They're there to do something different, meet new people. Um, a lot of them have other reasons for being there. Um, and luckily in Chicago, kind of people know what it is and they see the value in it. But still, you find some of the funniest improv is from people who are not being funny at all. It's just they're just being honest. And that's just such a relief, you know? Well, yeah, you said truth and comedy. Wait a minute, that's an improv book. I've, I've got it that. I've, I've read that. I've got that somewhere in, mm-hmm. in, in my bookshelf. Uh, and that was actually, I think, the first improv book that, that I read. And then, then I turned into a student of it. But you're right. It, it, it's that, you know, Boboli, Boboli is not, you know, it's kind of a funny word. It's a funny word. But, yes. but you put it in context that everybody can get. Yes. And I think that's something, as you said that, I went, son of a gun, I think you've just helped me here. Because I, you know, I, I'm in the, I started a new book. It's called Financial Storytelling. Can't wait to read that one, too. Uh, yeah. It's, <laughs> because think about, you know, when, when you have the CFO or whatever, and they're delivering data, they're delivering numbers. It's, it's boring. It's, there's, I'd rather watch grass grow. <laughs> but right, but right. There, but there's an importance of these numbers, so it's getting behind and, and understanding and finding out what that that story is, 
what I've part what I put as part of financial storytelling is taking stuff and put complex stuff and putting it in a context that everybody could understand. And when you said Boboli pizza <laughs> and that, that would connect with everybody in the room, my light went off and I went, that's exactly what I've been doing. I just didn't put it in that same context. Right, right, right. And I think it, it, when you're speaking, right, when you're doing public speaking or on a stage or anything, there's that barrier between you and the audience, right? And and anything you can do to break that down and make that relatable, especially if you can get a laugh, right? Because a laugh, you know, it, it kind of lets information sneak in through the back door that I, I'm, it releases this executive function, right? That you you are now willing to listen a little bit more and retain a little bit more because, you know, chemically your brain's saying this is something I want to pay attention to, you know, and obviously brain chemistry and all that is not my forte, but it's true. It, it is. And, and, and brain chemistry is not my forte. Either. <laughs> However, I have been immersing myself uh, as relates to these emotionally charged events that, such as laughter. And, and in, in a book that I'm, I've read by John Medina called Brain Rules, he states that, you know, when we laugh like that, it's, it's like your brain, the emotionally charged event, it's like taking a post-it note and slapping it on your brain. This is remember this. Remember this. And and those emotionally charged events, laughter, sadness, shock or whatever, uh, stick with us versus boring data, which it's, it's mind-numbing. But we, we, we tend to do that. And, and I, I did very complex piece that I was the night before I'm sitting there going, I'm going to put them asleep on this cons- consolidation of a VIE or whatever. And I'm like, I had my slides, I had my words. And I, I, somebody asked me, what did you do? I said, I sat there that night and I said, I, I try to break it down to the lowest common denominator. What's the, what, they're trying to move something from here to here. They're trying to put something someplace that it doesn't want to be. And that's when I got the idea to use uh, mother-in-laws as part of my presentation on this topic because I knew I had 200 CPAs in the room and I know a bunch of them had to be married and a bunch of them, <laughs> and a bunch of them got mother-in-laws. And, I, and, and then I, I went from the body language of, when I put this the initial slide up, of body language of grab my phone mm-hmm. to when I hit, hit the punchline on, on the mother-in-law that it went to instant laughter and everybody leaned forward and they were engaged. Mm-hmm. Putting things in context that other people can understand. Improv taught me that. You helped me realize that. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> wow. Because I, I mean, I, you know, I've had so many people ask me when I, when I do that, how do you do that? And, and you just put it in the context. I've, I've, I'm improvising. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing stuff out. I'm, I'm asking those questions. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find that lowest common denominator. We'll put things in context that everybody can, can do. And, and it, we all can do it. It just takes time and practice. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and you know, Boboli means something different than dominoes, right? Right. And I took the time to make Boboli, but I didn't have enough time to make it from scratch. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and and before dominoes changed within the last couple of years, the, the dominoes did not have a a, a really positive uh, right. uh yeah, as it relates to as it relates to pizza. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. Oh my God, we could talk for hours. For uh sure. and, and we will. Uh but I would have respect for your time and and, and um I, I, I just want to say I, I've enjoyed this conversation. I, I and we will have another conversation again and go in different directions. 
the the name of the uh, not for profit again was Room Two, the the number two improv. Okay, I'll make sure that I put that in in, in the show notes for very much go visit or understand or or better yet. Provide resources as in money to the uh, not for profits. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yes. I, I'm more than happy to do that. I, I hopefully someday here in the near future I can get to Chicago, uh, get a chance to meet with you, and just I mean pick your brain even more because I've I've learned a ton. You, you've brought it in, in a different perspective than I thought this was going to go, and you did a great job on relating back to really work and how to manage, how to lead, how to diffuse, and, and, and how to provide such a wonderful culture to an organization and your employer. I, You know, I, I let, let your employer listen to this, especially this part. She deserves a raise and a promotion. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I, this was so much fun. I look forward to talking again. And when you're in town, I'll take you out to Lou Malnati's. And that is? Best pizza in Chicago. Uh, okay. I, I, okay. <laughs> you, you had me at the best pizza. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I had to be specific. Yeah, Some people are Giordano's fans, but Luminati's is where it's at. Luminati's outstanding. Well, I look forward to having the pizza. Thank you very much, and we'll talk soon. Great. Great talking to you, Peter. I would like to thank Annie for giving her time to discuss how improv applies to today's business. As I've been saying for a long time, improv is powerful stuff. I would like to talk about the first five episodes of my podcast that qualify for CPE self-study credit under the NASMA category of personal development. Those interviews are with Clark Price, the former CEO of the Ohio Society of CPAs, Mike Scorantino, who's the author of Gratitude Marketing, Tom Hood, who's the CEO of the Maryland Association of CPAs and the Business Learning Institute, Ed Mendelwitz, who's a partner with the firm Witham Smith & Brown, and Carl Ulrichs, who's an HR professional at Gregory & Appel Insurance Company. These episodes are located on the MACPA BLI Self-Study website, and they are mobile-friendly. Create an account and purchase an episode. You can listen to them on your daily commute or while you're working out or even at your desk. And when you're finished, take the review and final exam on your mobile device or your computer. It's that easy. While all selected Improv is No Joke podcasts are available on my website, only those purchased through the MACPA BLI Self-Study website are eligible for CPE Self-Study credit. You can get the detailed instructions by visiting my website at petermargaritas.com and clicking on the graphic, Listen, Learn, and Earn, Improv is No Joke podcast on the homepage. I hope you enjoy this exciting and flexible new way of receiving CPE credit. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to purchase a personalized signed copy of my book, Improv is No Joke, using improvisation to create positive results in leadership and life for $14.99 and the shipping's free, please go to my website and you'll see the available now on my homepage. Just click and go to the shopping cart. In addition, you can download Improv is No Joke audiobook for $14.99 so you can listen on the go. You can follow me on social media. You can find me on Facebook by searching The Accidental Accountant. My Twitter handle is at pmargaritas, and you can find me on Instagram by searching pmargaritas. Please connect with me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Peter Margaritas. 
in episode 71, I'm going to take a break from interviewing and do an episode on travel, my favorite restaurants, and my favorite cities, along with maybe some other tidbits. So thank you again for listening, and I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd leave a review on iTunes. Remember to use the principles of improvisation to help you better connect and communicate with those in your organization. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.